You're listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Now here's Pastor Sean. Well, we start a new series today in the book of Judges, and uh, just as the video talked about brokenness, Judges, uh, as we look through this book of the Bible, it is all about brokenness. In fact, that really is the theme of what we're, we're talking about. It's People whose lives are completely messed up because they're not following God at all. In fact, we've been in the Old Testament a good little bit, and if you're newer to River, like, do those guys ever go to the New Testament? We do, but we were in the New Testament a lot, and like constantly, and, uh, and two-thirds of the Bible is Old Testament, so we're doing a dive. But if you've been here the last couple of series, we've done Daniel and the Minor Prophets, and we're kind of hitting the rewind on the remote control. We're kind of going backwards today, and uh, in fact, m- hundreds of years before Daniel and all of that. And so uh, we're catching up to the time just after uh, Joshua and all of Israel are in the promised land and they are enjoying the blessings of God that God promised them. In fact, if you know your, your Bible history at all, God wanted to give it to them 40 years before, but they doubted God, they disobeyed God, and God said, fine, I'll let you wander around for 40 years. How would you like to learn the same lesson over and over and over and over again for 40 years? Truth be known, we all have to learn lessons more than once because that's who we are by nature. We're kind of a little thick and a little stubborn, uh, and we don't always want to pay attention with God, but it took them 40 years. So they are now in the promised land, and they've kind of taken hold of that, kind of claimed that promise, and and they have... Uh, set up shop and have moved there, and, and Joshua is, has moved off the scene. But we're going to discover quickly this morning that those early uh, followers of God in, in Israel, in Palestine, we might say today, they had a, a major issue, and that is they did not know how to pass their faith on from one generation to the next. In fact, when we walk through the book of Judges, you're going to see how things get really bad, and they go through tremendous difficulty, and then finally say, God, help us. And then God says, well, it's about time. And he sends them a judge and delivers them and blesses them, and then they follow God for a while. And then when that judge dies, they revert back. And it's as if they weren't doing anything at all, and just this yo-yo up and down and up and down. But it all starts really with this generation that we're looking at today that did not know how to pass their faith on from them to the next generation. And so that's what we're really going to talk about today. So take your Bible, if you would, Judges chapter 2. I'm going to read the first couple of verses in chapter 2. I'll back up and we'll talk a little bit about chapter 1. But let's start in chapter 2. The Bible says this, Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, Get this, this is the angel of the Lord, God coming and speaking to the people of Israel. And he said this, I brought you up from Egypt. They were in slavery in Egypt. God brought them out of Egypt, and now he's given them the promised land. I brought you up out of Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall break down their altars. Huge but here. You have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? God goes to Israel and he says, guys, guys, you're missing something. When I brought you into this land and I promised to bless you, you were were in slavery, you were a know-nothing kind of nation, 
You are not mighty. You are not dignified. You are not wealthy. You are not full of uh, intellectual people. In fact, you struggled and were completely conquered and living as slaves. And I delivered you, and I promised to give you this land. You weren't earning it. You did nothing for it. In fact, I'm giving it to you. And I made an agreement with you that when I gave this to you, that I would not break this deal, that I would be your God, and I would bless you, and I would bless the world through you. And we know ultimately later on in the story that, that God was predicting and setting up things so that he could bring his son Jesus, who would ultimately one day be the Savior of the world. But God says, I got a problem. I didn't break the, our relationship. I didn't break our vows. You did. I, I, you were not supposed to make any kind of commitment to the people who were already living here. Now, the reason God didn't want them to do that is because the people that were living there were full of idolatry. They were bowing down and serving the sun god and the fertility god and all these horrible things. In fact, later on, when the wheels began coming off more and more in Israel, ultimately the Jews even began sacrificing on an altar of fire their own kids uh, literally, so that they thought that the God that they were serving wanted that. And God hated all of that. One of the key foundations of understanding all the Bible, that God is one and there are no other gods beside him, and we are to worship him and him alone. And, the, and the, his people right off the bat, I mean, the very first leaders that die and go off the scene, we'll see in a minute, are gone. And the next generation goes wholesale into serving other gods. And that was the whole reason why God said, don't make any agreement. Don't live in a covenant relationship with them. In fact, you are to stand apart. You are to be separate and to serve me completely. And he says, but you have now disobeyed my voice. Five quick keys I want to give you this morning because the kids are ready for snow cones and popcorn. Uh, five quick keys about how to pass on your faith to the next generation. So whether or not you're a mom and dad this morning, whether or not you're a grandparent, honestly, whether or not you're an aunt and uncle or, or somebody in, in church and don't have a, a direct relative, we all have a role in how we pass this faith on to the, the next generation around us. And, the, and the, the very first principle that I want you and I to recognize comes out of uh, verse uh, chapter 2, verse 1 and 2, where you and I, we are responsible before God. We are responsible to make our lives and our home centered around Him. So if you are going to pass the faith on to people around you, to your kids, your family, your neighbors, your neighbor's kids, you and I have to have a home that centers around Jesus Christ. You see, God was saying, guys, I'm setting up a nation, not just because you're special, not because you're anything. He tells them later on, he's like, I love you, but you really aren't anything. I'm setting up this because I want you to be a testimony to the world. I want you to be a conduit of blessing. Just like when you turn the water on in the morning and the water comes out, I, I want to be a, a conduit. I want to be a pipeline to bless the world through you. But to do that, You've got to have truth and you've got to live holy before me and you've got to build your life around me. Instead, the Jews, the, the, his people, allowed impurities to come in. They allowed pollution, if you will, into that well. The water they were drinking was not pure and consequently they were not able to help spiritually anyone around them. And so God was angry at that. 
So you and I, if we are going to pass on our faith to those around us, first and foremost, we have to make sure that we are removing idols out of our life. We have to make sure we're removing idols out of our homes. We have to make sure that all idolatry is being removed out of our heart. Now, most of us this morning would say, well, Sean, I'm not bowing down to a statue of Buddha. Uh, I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not visiting the, the local temple and giving my money and sacrificing and praying. I'm, I'm praying to God. I know Jesus and I, I know Jesus died for me. That's not the kind of idolatry that most of us deal with today. Honestly, that idolatry is increasing. It, it will never go away because it's by nature who we are as people. We're going to worship something. And if you're not worshiping God, you're going to make up something to worship. That's just it's who we are. We're spiritual beings that are made to worship someone. And you're either worshiping the one true God or you're making one up and, and inventing something else. But, but, so we don't wrestle so much with that, bowing down to other physical idols. But what you and I do wrestle with is what is most important at any given time in our life. You see, if we are truly going to pass on our faith to the next generation, it's not just enough to make sure we come to church on a Sunday morning. or It's not even just enough to say a prayer at the dinner table and talk the talk. We have to do a, a heart search in our lives to say, God, are you really what's most important to me? Or is it my career? Is it my retirement? Is it my family? Is it the success of my kids? Um, is it a hobby? Am I, am I living for something? Am I finding my identity in anything besides you? So first step is, is to constantly and be vigilant in your life of rooting out all idolatry. And a part of that it, to, to have that home that is centered around Jesus Christ as our Lord, as God's Son, who died for us and rose again on the third day with victory over our sin, but is making sure that we're following Him and obeying Him in every area of our life. You see, God called them. He said, you have not obeyed me. You've, you've not obeyed me. I, uh, I pastored for a number of years in Potsdam, and uh, that's way up north. You know you live up north when you're north of the Adirondacks. It just, you're up there. And it, winters are long here, but they are really long up there. Like, it's warm here compared to what we used to have to, to, to live in, uh, my family and I. And, uh, and it, Potsdam's a college town. There's Clarkson University and SUNY Potsdam. They're there. In fact, 20 minutes down the road is uh, the town of Canton, and there's St. Lawrence University and SUNY Canton there. So there's students everywhere. Uh, just, in fact, 50% of the town I lived in truly were college students. That was like our population base. And I noticed after a few years of pastoring there that every, every late August, and usually by the first or second week of September, I would get these frantic phone calls. I think there were moms around the country that you know, we're Googling churches or something, and they would find us online, and they would say, you know, does your church have a college ministry? I'd say, we sure do. We do Bible studies on campus. I personally lead. I'm invested in, in all of that. And I'd say, oh, great. The next question would be, well, can you pick my kid up on Sunday? I'm like, sure, we can do that. Um, and I noticed after a few years a connection. I'm not a statistician. It's been a long time since I had a formal statistics class, but uh, a hundred percent of the time, and I'm pretty sure a hundred percent is a significant number in anybody's book, without fail, a hundred percent of the time, it was always the mom who called, 
which spoke volumes to me. I don't know if dads are just wimps, don't want to talk on the phone, or if dad didn't care as much spiritually about their kid. I'm not sure which, but it was always mom, 100% of the time. And without fail, 100% of the time, no matter what I did to invest and engage those kids, and our church did, and we were far from a perfect church, but we would love them, we'd give them some own meals, and we would do the whole thing. 100% of the time, when mom called me, the kid never came. Past once. Oh, they would show up during parents' weekend, (laughs) because mom and dad were there and would bring them. But after that, nothing. I mean, zero. I don't mean later on. I mean, gone. 100% 100% of the time when the, the student contacted me, I don't care if they were freshmen coming right out of high school or sophomore or just transferred in, when they emailed me, when they reached out to me, 100% of the time they were there. Week in, week out, involved, invested, growing, amazing. Black and white, night and day. And I thought, oh my goodness, Sean, here's a lesson. My kids, I as a parent, have to figure out how to have my kids take responsibility for their spiritual life before they leave home. I can't parent them spiritually after that. They've got to own it. It's got to be theirs. There's got to be a handoff that happens long before they leave home and leave college. And if that hasn't happened long before that, I got real problems. So our whole talk this morning is how do you do that? And to do that, you're gonna, it's going to take more than just what a 30-minute sermon or 40-minute conversation can have. But these five keys will help you with this tremendously. And the, the, the real first one is, is really taking care of you. If you want your kids to follow Jesus afterward, and if you care about their eternity, you can't live a half-hearted Christian life yourself. You can't cheat with God. You can't, we all know, right? You get a car or truck, you have to change your oil, right? What happens when you don't? You eventually blow an engine. I mean, it's not going to last as long. Something's going to happen. It's going to wear out faster. It's not going to work. You can seize it. I mean, bad things happen when you don't change the oil regularly. You can't cheat. You can't cheat spiritually. We can't say, well... I'm going to invest in my kid, and I'm going to do everything right and, 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 and help them follow Jesus. But over here, just like we talked yesterday, you can't have this little sin area or this disobedience or have this little private closet idol that you're bowing down to. Even if you never invite your kid in to bow down to that, the very fact that you are following that and have another priority other than God in your life removes God's hand of blessing in your family. You allow and condone and encourage that corrosive effect of sin and disobedience that is ultimately going to undo everything. So step number one about helping our kids and to, to gain their, their faith and to live a life that's worthwhile, that honors God and moves forward, we got to make sure that we are there and daily, day in and day out, serving God. Now, for those of you whose kids, how many of you, your kids have, have moved out from home? You know, they're gone, they're whatever. Okay, I'm glad. You're not off the hook. So even though they're gone, you still have responsibility because they are still looking at you. And they're still learning and they're still observing, even when you don't think they are. They're watching what's going on and you're, you never are off that. So I'm challenging you to truly in your heart deal with the idols and the focus and, and every morning before God just say, God, I want to serve you. That's the first thing. Second thing I want you to, to recognize this morning is that 
if we're going to really help our kids pursue God is, is we have to restore them in their relationship to God and really us when they disobey God. We have to restore them. Look, what the, look how the people responded. I mean, God had this whole dad moment. I hate it when my dad called me in. Son, we need to talk. Oh, what did I do now? You know, or usually I knew. I'm like, oh, I thought I was going to get away with it, and I didn't. God had one of those conversations with the people. And look how they responded in verse, in verse 3 and 4. So God says to them, so now I say, I will not drive those people out. I will not drive them out before you. But they shall become thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. As soon as the angel of the Lord had spoken these words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and they wept. They felt the shame and the pain of disobeying God, and honestly, they knew the consequences were horrible. And they called the name of the place Bokim, it means weeping, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. If you read chapter 1, and we didn't take time to, and uh, you'll read over and over again how each tribe of Israel did not complete the mission, that they did not obey God in each of those areas. God calls them on the carpet, and their next response is significant. God said, here was the, what you were supposed to do. You didn't do it. You broke it. You broke my command. Here are the consequences to breaking my command. I love you. And this is going to be painful, but you're going to experience pain and suffering. And their response to that was weeping and worship. You see, they responded to God's disciplinary action appropriately. So mom and dad, here's the deal. If you're going to raise children, if you're going to invest in children, again, I don't, I don't care if we're talking grandparents or, or others around. It's going to look differently. I mean, obviously, you relate to kids differently if you're a parent or if you're an aunt and uncle or neighbor's kids or whatever. But, but we have to set clear standards and expectations of, of behaviors of attitudes, of intentions of heart that are reasonable for those kids to their age level, to their development level, to where they are. And when they break those, rather than you and I putting them on a big manipulation trip, rather than you and I yelling and screaming because we're mad, we're frustrated, we're irritated, which we have all been there, me included, Rather than over-dramatizing everything, we need to take our cue from God and realize that as parents, the way we use authority and the way we respond to disobedience, God tells us really is pretty similar to what He does with us. He makes clear the expectations. He calls us to account when we don't. There's no drama. God's not yelling and screaming. He holds their feet to the fire and he says, because you've done this, here's the consequences. And you and I should do the exact same thing. And when we discipline our children, it should be quick. It should be immediate. It should be in measure with who they are, with the crime, <laughs> the crime they've done. And it should be quickly over. I mean, seconds, especially when they're young. Maybe when they're teenagers, there's a little bit longer because there's more reasoning power there. But there's restoration on the back end of that. And our job as parents is to lead them to not just 
realize they've blown it, but to realize that they've broken the relationship with us, they've damaged the, the, the commitment that they, before God, are supposed to obey us. Mom and Dad, it's okay to expect your kids to obey you. It's what God expects. In fact, if you don't help your kids obey you, you're actually building into their life a life of disobedience, and it's actually harder for them to trust Christ later on because they don't have a healthy understanding of what love and authority and how that all looks and their accountability to God, and they unconsciously begin to think God is just like you, that, that they can get away with stuff, and it's never going to matter, and they can just slide and manipulate and all of that. Most loving thing you can do as parents is do what God does with us, is say, I love you, but here are the standards. Here's what's going to happen when you don't do it, and God made that very clear. And then God finally came to him and said, you did what I said you shouldn't do, and therefore you're going to get what I told you you would the first time. And then they, they before God, are weeping, probably a picture of repentance, and they worship God. They weren't driven away and mad at God. They didn't walk away and throw a temper tantrum. It's kind of popular psychology to think that if you discipline your kids that somehow they're not going to love you and they're going to feel awful. Actually, it's the opposite. If you really love them and you've taught them love from day one, and but you've held clear expectations along the way, they know that they've blown it. And when you haven't been inflated and you're not yelling at them and screaming and drama and manipulation and all of that stuff and blowing at them, you're not damaging their little souls. You're not, you know, you're not wounding them personally. They know. And they respect you for holding it. And then when you immediately restore them, and they're not walking around on eggshells or broken glass later on, wondering, oh, I don't want to set mom off because, you know, yesterday I did this and I don't know today. And it's over and done. There is a relationship that is restored. There is health in the middle of that. Mom and Dad, you, I don't know how you raise children that ultimately follow Christ if you don't set that up with, with children. Now, I will say this. If that hasn't been your pattern with children, let's say you have teenagers, uh, you, you don't go home today and all of a sudden, okay, new set of rules and really put it to them. No, there's habits in there. You, you can't do that. You can begin to adjust some things, but you can't go start back at square one. The things I'm talking about, you need to start when they're young and you carry them forward. And if you start when they're young, when they're older, the older stuff isn't really that nearly as much of a big of a deal. We can talk more offline, but if you're going to pass your faith on to the next generation, mom and dad, we have to have a clear understanding of authority, that our authority comes from God. We have to use it appropriately, not abusively, but firmly and lovingly and in a life of restoration and Help that child pray with them, love them after you've disciplined them. Help them to, to know that God loves them even after that, that shame and all that's removed. And they know, they get a picture of what reconciliation and what holiness and what God's loving hand is toward them. And it's much easier for them to ultimately trust Christ and begin to follow Him. So live your life before God fully. Hold them accountable for where they are. It's your responsibility as mom and dad. Grandparents, you have responsibility in that. Certainly it's going to look differently and definitely aunts and uncles and other things. But, but speak into their world and, and expect them to respond appropriately and deal with it when they don't. Third thing that I want you to notice. If we're going to pass our faith on to the next generation. Oh, by the way, let me give you another book. This is like must be like book day. I don't know. Forgive me. But if, you like the, if, you're, if you're a married couple and you like the love and respect book, 
which is probably just so Bible-oriented and is like the book that I just, I really especially love for married couples. And if you're thinking like what that is to uh, marriage and what maybe Dave Ramsey's book is to, to finances, the book is Parents You Need to Check Out is Shepherding a Child's Heart by Tripp, uh, T-R-I-P-P. Look at that. It's very biblical. And what, what that love and respect is to help couples know what God expects of us, that book it, it really helps unpack what our job is as parents to follow. Uh, so third thing, if you're really going to raise your kids to, to follow Christ and pass that faith on, mom and dad, grandmother, grandfather, it's your job to help lead them to Christ. It's, it's your job. Look at verse 6 through verse 10. This is giving us a little summary of what's going on. Well, actually, this is a summary of what happened in the, in the last book, in the book of Joshua. Joshua had died, and this is reminding us of that. So it says this, when Joshua dismissed the people... The people of Israel went each to his inheritance to take possession of the land. Pick, picture a quarterback at the huddle, right? Ready? Break. So Joshua gathers all the people together. You're going to serve God? Yep. It's going to be hard? Yep, but we will. And he says, okay, ready? Break. And they all go back to their little areas to take possession and to run the plays that God told them to, to do. But then look what happens. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great work that the Lord had done for Israel. And then the Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110 years. And they buried him within the boundaries of his inheritance. Go to verse 10. And all that generation also were gathered to their fathers. And here's the difficult part where the baton and the, gets dropped in the relay race. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. Joshua, as a quarterback, says, ready, break. They all go, and they take care of business for themselves. But all the while, the little babies that were being born, the little kids that were growing up, the ones that were going to then take their place and take responsibilities, didn't get it. And the baton drops, and there rises up a whole generation that doesn't know God and that, and that doesn't know the things that God did for them. Mom and Dad, the lesson that I take out of that and for all of us, but it, it's your job to lead your kids to a personal relationship with Jesus. It's your responsibility. I'm not saying that if your child hasn't trusted Christ that it's your fault and you're a terrible person. I'm not actually getting within a million miles of that. What I'm saying is, is as parents, we should take that responsibility to invest in our kids, to be the the one that, that teaches them, that disciples them, that helps them to know Jesus. In our, in our, our world, and our culture today, you know, we, we take our kids to get all kinds of expert help, right? We send them to schools to let somebody teach them. We send them to, 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 to play baseball for somebody to teach them baseball. We send them to art classes with art and music for that and dance for that. And, and, and there's a million science camp. And there's just a million and one things that we take our kids to let everybody else teach them all kinds of things. When it comes to spiritual things, we can't treat church that same way. Church is not a spiritual version of camp. It's not a another outlet to bring your kids to say, hey, somebody else is going to explain it to them because I really don't understand all of this, so please, you, you do it for me. No, mom and dad, it's, it's, it's the home life responsibility. It's this generation failed individually in their homes to help their kids 
know what it means to know the Lord. I can't think of a more, I cannot think of a bigger indictment that could ever happen on any generation than to wholesale look out across the board and say, that whole, that whole generation failed to help the kids who are now adults to know what it really means to, to, to know God, to, to follow Him, to, to have a relationship with Him. So, so take responsibility for yourselves. Grandparents, I encourage you to take responsibility. If your kids don't know Christ, you take responsibility for your grandkids. They may live a million miles away, and you may only have access to them occasionally, but, but you pray for them. You engage them as much as you have and as much as is appropriate and as makes sense and all of that, but that should be our, our heart's desire and our whole focus is to not just hope that somebody else does and speaks to them, but we do. So if you're to do that, let me give you a few pointers, Mom and Dad, with it. One, uh, make sure that your kids know that God loves them first. Do they need to know that God's a holy God and He expects uh, obedience? Yes. But make sure it's in the context and environment that they know that God loves them. Think about, about you and, and young children, young babies. You know, a young baby you bring at home, it doesn't need any discipline. It needs love and care. Kids spiritually early on need love and care. That's what that love and care looks like. But later on as kids get older and their brain begins kicking in gear and they know that they're breaking things in you begin to put those expectations, those disciplines, whatever. And so make sure that your kids know that God loves them. Speak to them and, and, and talk to them often about Jesus and about redemption, about His salvation, about that, that big picture in the world. Um, make it a part of life, a part of the conversation. It, people, your kids ought to hear the name of Jesus outside of just church and listening to their friends swear, you know, or out on the playground. But make that a part of what's going on in their life. Then, then third, as, you, as they begin to get older, and older can be five, it can be 15, but somewhere in that window, ask them spiritual questions. What sin is? Who is God? Why did Jesus come? Have you ever sinned? What does God think of that? Ask them open-ended questions and listen to them. Listen to their answers. Don't give them the answers. Just, just talk with them. And if you do that early on, it'll be a natural part of the process. And somewhere along the way, you'll begin to discern, my kid's really starting to get it. And when they really begin to understand that they're a sinner before holy God, and that, that God loves them, but He's upset at their sin and there's punishment in there, they're very close to trusting Christ. They're very close to surrendering their life to Him. And the very next step with that is, I encourage you, you don't pray the prayer for them. Okay, kid, repeat after me. Okay, dear Heavenly Father. Okay, dear Heavenly Father, you know, thank you for Jesus dying. Thank you for, I don't encourage you to do that. You explain it to them and you say, Look, son, if, if you want to trust Jesus, God right now can save you and forever forgive you of your sins. But you've got to talk to him and admit to him that you've done things wrong. And you've got to ask him to forgive you and ask Jesus to save you. I'd like for you to do, if you ever want to, I'd like for you to do that right now. And if they're nervous, then leave it there. 
Don't out of a, don't out of a, a loving heart, like, oh, my goodness, my kid, i got to help them. Just relax. Just trust God, the Holy Spirit, working in their heart. He'll work in it. They need to be able to, in their heart, Trusting Christ is not so much an incantation that you say the right words. It's not that at all. It's an internal heart thing that has to happen in their hearts. It has to happen with inside of them. So be careful. I've talked. Thankfully, this hasn't happened in a long time, so I don't think it's anybody here, at least not anybody recently. But sometimes I'll listen to parents that, you know, their kids will be singing the Christian radio and they'll be singing these songs and talking about Jesus. And it's like, oh, I just know my kid knows Jesus and is saved. And I'm thinking... No, probably not. Um, do they right now love Jesus? Sure. Can you love Jesus and be lost? Absolutely. For that season, absolutely. Don't, mom and dad, out of a love for your kids and out of a fear for them not knowing Jesus yet, do not rush to think that they're okay and everything's good and communicate that to them. Help them to know they've got to take a step. They've got to make a conscious decision to go from singing the songs to whatever they like and, and all of that to, they've got to admit their sin before God and trust him to forgive them. Until they make those kinds of commitments, they don't know Jesus. So don't, don't try to in your mind think they do and definitely don't communicate that to them. But you lead them to Jesus. And we've got some resources out back at the River Kids area. And uh, if you want to talk, email me, call me, text me, whatever. I'd be glad to coach you and help you along. And, but, but you engage them and help them know Christ. Fourth thing, I'm going to finish the last two pretty quickly here. So not only do, you, do we need to lead our kids to Christ, but our kids need to see God's work authentically in our own lives. That's for all of us and grandparents and all of us. If you don't have kids, even if you've never been married or, or have anyone, you're part of this because it really, together as a community, we speak volumes into the lives of our kids and they're watching, even when we don't know they're watching, just even us together and during life groups and Sunday mornings, all of that. But they need to see the authentic work of God in our lives. Part of the problem is, is this next generation, they didn't know how bad it was in Egypt. They didn't know what it was like in slavery. They had never seen the waters of the Red Sea parted. They missed somehow the stones that were taken up out of the Jordan River that were supposed to be a memorial to, that the kids would later on say, Mom and Dad, what are these big rocks? And they say, well, let me tell you the day that God did a miracle. Those rocks right there, son or daughter, they came right out of the Jordan River. And, and wow, God did something amazing for us and, and made us his one true God and gave us his commands. They missed all of that. And somehow they didn't pass those stories on. Well, God so much in your life and in my life hasn't parted the Red Seas, if you will, for us. But what is the work that God has done in your life? The work that God does in your life and in my life is the work that he does through Jesus Christ who died for our sins, who came to deliver us from sins, not just the penalty. He removes the penalty. The moment we trust Christ, His forgiveness washes over us, and we stand clean before Him, and we're adopted into His family. But the rest of our lives, God more and more pulls us out of the muck and the mire, and He begins to wash us off, and our lives begin to change, and we begin to treat one another with the dignity and respect and love, and, and, and things begin to matter. If we if we were given to lying before, God begins convicting us and we begin to apologize and move out of that. And if we've done damage in our family before, then God begins working in us and changing us. See, our kids should have a front row seat in our lives of what the work of God looks like. They should see that. 
Now, they don't need to see all the nitty-gritty and all the, the awful, awful. You don't need to pull out a photo album and show them all the awful things you've ever done in your life. But there ought to be a humility of life that you've lived before them and with them in your own home, that they see God's hand in your life. You ought not have to announce it. Hey, get this, kids. Here's God's hand in my life. You, you ought, they ought to just smell it and see it. It ought to, it ought to be around. Kind of like when you, you, know, you go to the gym after a while and that, that bag just sits there with that little smelly, you know. You don't know where it is, but you know it's in the, somewhere in the house. That ought to be our, a little bit better, it ought to be a fragrant smell, but that ought to be our Christian life. That ought just, our kids ought to see that. That means at times you're going to need to be humble and apologize when you've been wrong. You've had attitude in your house. I don't even care if you didn't even do anything towards your family, but... If you just, you know, negative criticizing or whatever out there, God convicts you of it and they heard it, you probably need to go back and say, wow, I blew that one. You know, God's still doing some work in my heart. And they ought to see a progression, an upward spiral of God's grace in your life. I'll tell you, when kids walk away from God and from church, not, not always, there, there's, man, i got to be careful with blanket statements because it really sounded like that. One of the reasons kids walk away, and one of the fastest reasons is, is when they see mom and dad profess something with their mouth, and, and, and even with their life, like go to church and all that, but then they don't see a reality in their life. They see the hypocrisy. There's nothing that will turn a kid's heart away from God faster than hypocrisy. Now, sometimes, Mom and Dad, you and I do everything. This is not a five little steps. If you lead this, if you do this right, your kids will turn out perfect. That's ridiculous. There is no such thing as that. So sometimes, Mom and Dad, you've done everything you should, and they still are not following Christ. That's between them and God. That's something they've got to address, and God's going to deal with them directly just like he dealt with you directly. But if you do have that double life that you are not letting them see that authentic work of God in your life and then beginning to help them to see that unfold in their own life and the older they get, the more it happens, especially as they move into the teenager world and even into the young adult world, they need to firsthand experience that. When they've experienced that, the baton is getting passed to them. Fifth and last thing, not only do you need to help them to see the authentic work of God, that changing your own life and overcoming sin and all of that, but you need to help them to obey God in the completion of His great commission. This might be the one that, that we so often miss in good churches because we know we should teach our kids. We know we should lead them to Jesus. We know we should live a Christian life before them and live as we should. But it's particularly easy for you and for me to miss, to miss this one. I won't, I won't take time to read it in chapter 1. I was planning on it, but for time's sake, I'm going to just kind of summarize it. Read the beginning of chapter 1. And after Joshua leaves, God sends out the tribe of Judah to go and complete the, the job that they were to, to take possession of their land. And so they go up and they take Simeon. And they, they capture a king. And this king was famous, apparently. They capture him. And, and, and when they capture this king, they cut off both his thumbs and both his big toes. And when you read that and you're like, whoa, that's gruesome and that's weird. But 
when you read further, the king says, uh-oh, I've done that to 70 other kings. And I made them all grovel for scraps under my table. God is giving to me exactly what I deserve. It's, it's a small snapshot of why God was having the people removed from the area. They deserved it, and God was bringing judgment to them that they had earned. But nonetheless, here's my point. God gave them a job to complete. They did it half-heartedly. They didn't do it, and they disobeyed God, and God held them accountable. What has God told us to do today? Besides, you know, pull out a doctor's spot, can you do it, you know, live long or prosper or whatever, his little, you know, for the trickies in the room. You know, what, what does God want for us? I'm so glad you asked that question. Matthew 28 says this. Look at the last two slides on the screen, and I'm done with this one. Jesus rises from the dead, and he makes a point to tell his disciples on a couple of occasions, go to Galilee in verse 10. And there they'll see me. Guys, relax. I'm alive. Go to Galilee. I'm going to meet you in Galilee. And then verse 16. Now when the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them, and when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. There's always doubt in the middle of authentic worship. But notice what Jesus says in verse 18. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Get the picture. Jesus rises from the dead. Guys, I want to have a part. I need a meeting. I need a meeting. I need a meeting. We're going to meet in Galilee. Go to Galilee. Meet me in Galilee. I got something to tell you. When Jesus gets them all together, okay, boys, you ready? Here's the play. You ready? Go make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them to observe or do everything I've commanded you not to know, to do, action-oriented. We get this confused. Making disciples is actually evangelism. When you're not a disciple of Jesus, you're lost. You're not saved. You're dead in your sins. You're unforgiven. Making disciples is helping people walk through that process that they become a follower of Jesus. That's outreach and evangelism. Then they get baptized, first step of obedience, and then you teach them not to know stuff, not discipleship, but to do stuff, to, to keep the commandments and to follow all the things that Jesus told us. And, and he top and bottom lines this. He says, guys, I've got all authority. Here's what I'm telling you to do. And as you're doing it, it's going to be tough. But I'm going to be there with you, helping you along the way. If God came, here's my question. If God came to the Jews and said, So, boys, ladies and gentlemen, I told you to go take possession of the land, and you didn't do it. Here's judgment. Do we not think that God is troubled if we don't take this seriously about his great commission? Absolutely. Jesus said, guys, here's the play. Ready, break. I'm sending you out. And from that point forward, the, the church moved forward. People shared the gospel. They made disciples and taught them, and they started churches, and the churches reproduced, and more churches, and it spread throughout the world. My point is this. 
a part of following God were those families passing on the responsibility to obey God in that area to their kids. And it's the same to this day. God gave one generation that command to be passed to the next generation, the next generation, the next generation. So if you want your kids to truly follow Jesus, make sure that you are teaching them to obey that command. Not to just be good boys and girls, not just to know Jesus, but to serve and live in such a way that they are making an impact into God's kingdom. Increasingly, when I meet with couples who are getting married, I'm talking to them. What, are you gonna, what impact are you going to make in God's kingdom? I would say to the young parents having their first babies, what are you going to lead your child to do in making an impact in God's kingdom? How are you going to do that? You see, God's expecting that to be passed along. I fear sometimes that we, are, we become so focused in our, our culture and our world, and I'm, just, I'm talking as one of them as a parent still, I gotta make sure my kids have all the opportunities. I wanna make sure that they've got, you know, sports and if they like drama, they can go do that and you know, music and art and I gotta make sure they get into good schools and I'll make sure they can do that and, and all of that. But along the way, it's so easy to live a Christian life that we miss the most basic of command that God tells us. Go make disciples. Go help other people know Jesus, whether it's in your town, in your school, community, neighborhood, around the world. Go do that. You see, Mom and Dad, when we don't teach our kids that, and we're not intentional about that, and we're more focused on helping them get all these other experiences than that, then we are setting them up for failure in the most basic command that God has given us as parents. And, and it becomes a part of the reason why they don't follow God later on. And we ultimately make life all about them and all that they get rather than teaching them to serve and to go out there. And we could talk a whole lot about how to do that and we just truly don't have time today. So let me just plant that seed inside of you, Mom and Dad, and, and the rest of us. Would you make a commitment this morning to say, I'm going to help my kid know how to obey God in that area. Not just the other stuff, not just living holy, not just learning how to deal with pornography or learning how not to lie or learning how not to swear when all their, kid, their friends at school are, but how to obey God. And the very last thing that Jesus took so seriously, get together guys, come on, come on, I got something. And he lays it there. We are going to stand before God and he's not going to ask, how many games do we take our kids to? How many activities did we give them? He's going to be looking at our life and how we obey what he told us to do. So I'm not putting this out here so much as a guilt trip. I'm really trying not to. I am trying to say, let's take this seriously in your own life. And together as a church, let's take this seriously. So our music team is going to come up, and I'm going to pray this next song or two that we're going to sing is a time for you to respond, for you to kind of contemplate what God has talked to you about. And it's, it's between you and God. So, so uh, hold tight, Gary. What's, uh, this is your time to say, God, what do you want me to do? What should my response be to you?
Is there something that God's burdening you? It might simply be praying for your kids. It might be praying for somebody else's kids. It might be stepping up and helping something. I don't know the answer to that. But what has God spoken in your heart today? And uh, I'm going to pray, and as we sing, you can stand, respond to God, pray, whatever you need to do. But I want you to respond to him today, so pray with me, would you? Father, I thank you for Lord Jesus. Lord, all of us in this room want the kids in our lives to turn out, quote, unquote, right. Lord, we want what's best for them. And Father, none of us in this room live fully according to what we've looked at this morning. I admit that myself as a parent. So Lord, somehow in our failures, would you be gracious? And Father, would you just help us to focus on the things simply that we've talked about today, to engage our kids, to, to live a life ourselves of godliness, helping our kids to see model before them what it means to live a life that's a Great Commission kind of life, caring about the people around us and involving them in that. God, would you be merciful to us as a church, I pray. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Rivercast, brought to you by River of Life Church in Gilderland, New York. Visit us on Sundays at 10 a.m. or online at riveralbany.com.